Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, uh, that's Joe. I'm Steve. We're a credit to our race. Uh, and uh, welcome to this ongoing therapy session that we're calling a podcast right now. Um, <laughs> you, uh, you, you join us uh, definitely. Uh, this, this, isn't, this isn't the first time uh, doctor and patients have, have met. And which one of us is which tends to trade off from one, <laughs> one subject to the next. Uh, yeah, so this is supposed to be a bit of a bit of a recap of uh, 2021. Um, so uh, I think the way we're going to do this is something like we've each got around three stories that we think are fairly important from the past year. And this might be might have to break this up into two or three parts. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Ended up with maybe some predictions. That sound that sound about right? Yep, absolutely. Well, then let me just pass it over to you for the first topic. Are you sure? Because uh, yeah. I think you. <laughs> well, because I guess to me, the first topic going chronologically is also the last topic chronologically because it spanned oh, all of 2021. All right, I wasn't I wasn't specifically going chronological, but all right, if you want to do if you want to no, least, okay. uh, make a gesture, we don't have to. Good. Well, we don't have to my, because uh, both biggest, of our one number of my yeah. big stories. One of my big stories was uh, January 6th. So mm -hmm. uh, there's a there's a protest on the mall. The president uh, either um, you know uh, gins up a riot or completely innocently sends out some tweets that his followers misinterpret. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, shit goes down. The Capitol gets uh, invaded by uh, angry and somewhat ridiculous people, um, and fallout occurs. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, fallout is still going on. Uh, that's true. To to the point that it's become CNN's you know story of like top story every hour seems to be January six happened. Um, yeah. So. It must still be important. Yeah, but, and uh, as we record this, go no, go on. No, no, I was going to say, I was going to say, as we record this, um, uh, the anniversary of that is coming up. It's like on our doorstep. That is true. Um, so the the first thing I think I just want to touch on briefly is what the fuck do you call it? Right. Uh, if you if you go on to, I don't know, Fox News, if they mention it at all, it's it's the incident like somebody, you know, stubbed their toe <laughs> on the Capitol steps and uh, and people made a mountain out of, of a molehill. And if you go on NBC, it's the insurrection that nearly brought down our government or something like that. And I, I definitely don't think either one of those two things is accurate, but um where where do you fall on uh, what to call it? Maybe. Good. And by the way, when you said NBC. Did you mean MSNBC or broadcast? I did mean NBC. MSNBC, and if I stuttered, I deeply apologize for that. Uh, no, MSNBC right. was definitely who I who I meant. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, now, myself personally, I refer to it as the insurrection. Here's my thing. Um, they. Loudly, and we can get into, you know, whether they were egged on, nudged on, or they just simply, you know, did that 
of, you know, just like as a free-forming mob or whatever conscience, they very loudly, very explicitly stated their goals were to overturn the results of the election, murder the Speaker of the House, and hang the Vice President. They were very loud in saying all three of those things. Wasn't a lot of verbal clutter. To me, insurrection. If they were... Oh, sorry, go on. I thought you'd pause there. Oh, yeah. No, no I, I had. That's, that's, that's my bad. Um, if they had said something along the lines of, like, for example, if you had the Tea Party rallies, they're simply saying, you know, we're, you know, we don't like being taxed, um, you know, or we believe in these rights or we're anti-quarantine or something along those lines. That's different from saying we want to take the life of the vice president and the Speaker of the House, and we want to overturn these election results. You know, any one of those three, I believe, puts them in a very, very different category. Those three things combined easily put them in a very different category from an incident or just a regular riotous mob. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. I, I um, And I, I have a lot of sympathy with that. Uh, my own feelings are more along the lines of a riot just because I feel like the people who had the attitudes that you describe were definitely there, but they were a distinct minority, as near as I can tell. Now, we're uh, later because that's going to answer some of those questions, right? If, um, if, if you know what, what there's there's something like seven hundred people have been charged with various things, and I want to say approaching a hundred less than a hundred have been have gotten any kind of sentencing so far and the ones Mm -hmm. that have been sentenced tended to be the ones that were the easiest right they were they were Mm -hmm. uh and a lot of them you know just got a fine or a slap on the wrist or some probation or something like that because the court basically decided that they were you know either stupid but not not malevolent or you know, sort of wandered in on the heels of the of the the, the worst perpetrators, um, or or whatever, right? So, you know, if it turns out that you know we get two or three hundred seriously charged, you know, um, insurrectionists, then I'm definitely going to have to reassess my priors on this. But my feeling is sure. that most of the people who were there were were angry they were pissed off they didn't like the election results uh uh, they would have preferred uh you know they they thought that if they raised their voice loud enough that uh that maybe pence would do something different uh and that that's that's what they were there for and then sort of got caught up in a little bit of hysteria now like i said charging may answer that question for me um and then there were the the people who sort of wandered in late when I mean, what was it like after like an hour or so you you saw scenes where there there's literally like a capital policeman like standing by the door letting people in because they can't keep people out. But if you were one of the people who was there and wandered in late and people are going in and out and there's an official guy there at the door that doesn't seem to be stopping anybody, I, I don't know. I don't know what you do with those people, right? 
I don't think those people who wandered in an hour after the first thing and got waved through by a guy in uniform, those people aren't insurrectionists. Uh, I, I'm not exactly sure what to call them, possibly, you know, trespassers of some various kinds or just idiots. But anyway, um, but do you do you agree that, you know, sentencing will probably tell us the story on this going forward? Uh, no, because I actually want to I do want to toss something at at the last uh, uh, characterization. Um, okay. And this is especially like after like that first hour or two, several hours before reinforcements arrived. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and there was the famous thing of that one barricade uh, officer who basically pulled down a barricade and started waving people in. That officer was the exception and needs to be charged. But let me toss this out at you. Let's shift the venue to someplace smaller, like Portland. And we'll just simply say, after people have been rioting for eh, half an hour, an hour, there's some people who simply happen to walk into the CVS through the through the window, or walk into a jewelry store through the open window or through the open door, and they're just like milling around, like, "Hey, look, there's this you know cool watch over here," or you know, "Let me just let me grab a Gatorade." Those people get a pass. Hmm, no, that's I don't a very good question. No, I don't necessarily think that everyone there, that anyone there should get a pass, but I do agree that, but well, okay. I do think that you should be um, charged on speci- on the specific merits of the action that you specifically undertook. Uh, and what I mean by that is that, and I, I think the law generally agrees with this. For example, uh, when you charge someone with uh, what are, whatever the various crimes is associated with being in a riot, not not necessarily the capital, but you know somewhere else. You tend to uh, pick the person that threw the bottle first, right, as a more flagrant offender than the fiftieth person who chucked some rubbish. Um, and we we generally think in the law that uh, that that that's because. When you're the person that changes the situation, it's it's more your responsibility than if you're the, you know, third dozenth person that got caught up in the whatever it was, caught up in the hysteria, just caught up in the mob or something like that, right? And so that doesn't mean that everyone else gets a pass, but it does mean that we come down harder on the first people in the in the scrum um sure and i think i think that that will probably hold true for uh the kinds of uh charges and sentencing that we see for the remainder of these of these people um but i definitely you know will reserve judgment for if we get more information about the actual conspiracies, some of which we are, some of which we have real evidence for, um, you know, of what people wanted to do and planned to do and came prepared to do, then obviously those things will be reassessed. Yeah, I mean, and by the way, something else uh, which post which popped um, on the front page of the January fifth Washington Post, 
uh, the headline is post vote vitriol surged in groups on Facebook. Over 10,000 daily attacks before January 6th. Company downplays role in fueling violence at Capitol. So yeah, there's a whole lot of prior stuff there. But here's my view. Yeah. A lynch mob is a lynch mob. Now, yes, I believe that those who instigated the lynch mob deserve to be penalized more. But the lynch mob is still a lynch mob. Going to much to far lower, like trivial category in hockey. Fighting is one thing. And people get you can get five minutes for fighting. Two people are fighting, they both get five minutes for fighting. You also have an instigation penalty. That's an extra two minutes. Whoever instigates the fight, if there's an instigator, they get the extra penalty. So, yes. Um, now, in terms of the minority of folks there having that on their mind, they're an extremely loud minority, and a lot of people joined into that chant. And when I say a lot of people, we many of us have been to sporting events or concerts or something along those lines. And you'll have one person who will start clapping, a little rhythmic clap, and then it'll spread. And no, not everybody in the stadium may be clapping. It might not even be half, but you have a lot of folks who are clapping. You had enough people screaming, hang Mike Pence, to where, sure, I'm not gonna dispute whether it was, it was a minority, but it wasn't like there were only three to five people shouting this. There were okay. 50 to 100, easy, and they were shouting it loudly. So I don't agree with saying it was a tiny minority, and the rest of them well, were basically just. Go ahead. Okay. Do you? But do you think that that reflects an actual desire on them to literally put a rope around his neck and find a find a beam to spring him up on? In other words, in other words, how? If somebody starts chanting "Hang Mike Pence" and other people join in, how how sure are you that we that these people actually think that, or maybe they're being metaphorical about it? Maybe they mean something else. Uh, maybe they mean something about you know his position as uh, um what is, what is what is the position in the Senate? You know that that he should do something different with that than he's doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, sure. I will say this much. There is a very famous video of an officer who, there's a one officer against the mob. He's backing his way up the stairs. He glances to his left, oh, which is that where... Guy, that guy yeah. should be person of the year. Mm -hmm. I, I, fuck Elon Musk on the cover of Time. Uh, I, I forget that officer's name. I came across it. When I was doing my research, I don't have it with me. I don't have it in front of me. That guy should have been person of the year, in my opinion, uh, at least at least on the short list. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I'm sorry. And Please finish no, finish explaining yeah. this guy's heroism. Actually, I'm glad I'm glad you I'm glad you made that statement because as he's backing up the stairs, he looks to the left, can see that the Senate and the Vice President have not been evacuated, and he leads the crowd in the opposite direction. Now. My question to you, had he, not, had he not been there, had the mob gotten to the Senate chambers, how confident are you that the rest of the crowd would, not, would have saved Mike Pence's life, would have saved Nancy Pelosi's life? 
would have prevented any member of the House or the Senate from coming to harm. Because it's not just simply, are these people out here who vocally want to string up Mike Pence or string up Nancy Pelosi or whatever. Even if you say that's a little minority, how many of those other people who are there are going to actually stand up and stop them? There might be one or two, and those are the officers. That, uh, that's, that, that, is, that, is a, that is an interesting and a very fair point, and it's one of those things that often you know, hinges on weird quirks of mob psychology that I, I don't know, right? I, so I, I don't know the answer to that, right? I think there's, I think there's one, there, there's one sort of world in which uh, the, the, that, that particular mob breaks in, finds everyone they want to find, and then doesn't do anything, right? Because there aren't enough hard asses in there that, re- that really want to start something. They were, they were all about making a big show of verbal violence on the mall. I didn't even expect to get as far as they did, and now they don't know what to do, and it, you know, it, that's where it stops. That's that's one that's one possible one possible world. There's another possible world where they they start hanging people, and there's enough mob psychology that you know there's. 20 people hanging from the rafters before, you know, reinforcements show up. And I don't know. I, I simply have no idea which way that would have gone. Uh, I don't, I don't pretend to know. I don't, I don't know that we have a really good reason to suspect one over the other yet, but maybe charges will make that clear. See, I believe we know, at least I believe I know, and I believe it is okay. very clear what way it would have gone, um, or which way I should say it would have gone. For example, if they were just simply about making some verbal violence, why are they crushing the police officer in the door? If they're really just about making a show of things, why is it that when the chamber, the Senate chamber has been barricaded, and there are two armed guards behind the door, warning the crowd, look, you cannot come in here, you need to be out of this building, et cetera. And the crowd continues to bash in the windows and they keep at it until a gunshot is fired and one of, and, and, and one of them is killed. That's not about making the verbal show. Just as yeah, I, I don't lynch know. mobs on, are on not about hand, making a verbal show. On the, on the other hand, if they're that bloodthirsty, if they're that bloodthirsty, how are any of the officers on the way in still alive? I, I don't know, right? I don't. I simply don't know the answer to that, and um, I, I don't. I don't feel like I can know the answer to that. And maybe some of these trials will help clarify it. But I understand you. You, you feel like you do know, and I. I get that. Yeah. I, I'm. I'm. I'm more hesitant to. To judge between those two possible worlds at this point. And this is one of our first crossover points because speaking of. You know, judge, um, looking at so far, the, I think the heaviest sentence was one person got five years. Yeah, wasn't that the, the, the shaman, the, the, the QAnon shaman guy, shaman guy, and the buffalo I horns and the, think, yeah. the whatever, that guy? Yeah, um, I think. Yeah, I mean, um, they, 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 he, didn't, he didn't apparently do anything violent, but they kind of had to make an example of him to a certain extent. 
I'm not surprised he got one of the heaviest sentences so far. Yeah, and five years for that is considered a heavy sentence? <laughs> well, that's where, okay. That's I where mean, I am. That's the worst. Most of these folks are getting like a few months here and there. Um, you had the, there's another iconic image of the guy that dressed in all black paramilitary gear, which had the, uh, the zip tie cuffs and whatnot. I don't know what he, I don't know if they've been able to apprehend him um, or what his sentence is, but I know that the five-year sentence, which actually I don't think that was a shaman. I, I think that was somebody else, but let's assume okay, it, so it, it was the, uh, the VQ shaman. I mean, really? I, I, and this I is think I heard, I think yeah. I heard 40, I think I heard 41 months for that guy. So maybe there's been another okay. one that was even, that was even steeper. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. The most that I've heard is, is, is five years. Um, so, you know, in 48 months is four years. So yeah, and this is, this is, I'm not even assuming time off for, for good behavior. Um, I was saying this is a bit of a crossover point. Had this been a BLM rally, the sentences for those who would still be around would have been significantly heavier. Now, granted, we have no way of actually proving that until there's a situation where a Black Lives Matter protest overruns the Capitol, then we see what happens. Right. Um, yeah, the, the, whole, the whole business about it being the Capitol is what, is what throws all the other calculations out the, out the window, right? Because there, there are plenty of people on the, let's say, center right to far right who say, you know, look at all of the, the BLM rallies, like, like the one that was in D.C., what was it, like six months before mm -hmm. there was one? Are you, you talking know, about the one where, where Trump had um, tear gas deployed to disperse the crowd? Yeah. That one? Yeah, that might have been it. But that one, there, mm -hmm. was, there was some violence. There was some, you know, violence that wasn't perpetrated by Trump as well as some that was. Uh, I don't know that there was any um, any arrests made or any charges made, but I don't I don't, remember, I don't even know know what the charges were there. Uh, there are plenty of people who say, you know, look at how why why aren't we why aren't there people being charged for what was it the the hundred Saudi nights of uh, of 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 laying siege and fighting in the street in Portland in front of the federal building and, you know, burning oh. down police precincts and stuff like that. Right. Uh, but yeah, see, I thought you were going to bring been, up Michigan. Well, charges have been minimal or, or non-existent to that, but th those people don't realize that the circumstances really are different. Number one, it's the, it's the capital that, that really changes the dynamics of everything. And number two, um, that's like that's like one of the most heavily surveilled places in the entire universe, right? I mean, nobody moves within a couple of miles of the Capitol building and the White House without there without leaving some records and some traces. And also, there was a bit less um, stupidly uh, celebrating with your face showing on like Instagram. Woo look at me! I'm in the Capitol building. I, I mean, mm -hmm. it, there's a there's a number of big differences is is all I'm saying. I, I I understand the people who are a little cranky about all the violence that was done in in that summer that you know for for little to no charge. But the the parallels parallels are definitely not exact. And people who want to draw the direct parallels, I I, 
I, I, I can't, I can't get behind that. It doesn't work. Yeah. Um, because when I think about a parallel, and I've brought this up before, Michigan, Michigan State Capitol, is charged, overrun, and occupied by armed civilians. Not a goddamn thing happens. There is a very famous photograph, and this is going back to 2020, a very famous photograph of an armed white guy with a beard, young and screaming in the face of a guardsman, I believe. Um, and they all just simply got to get up and walk home. Is, is this the I'm, one that involves a, a threat of kidnapping against the, 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 the governor? The uh, governor? Or is um, different no, same, same state, but, but different incident. This is when you had the, okay. the militia groups who stormed the Capitol because they were against mask mandates. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Armed. State Capitol. Occupied the place. Not a goddamn thing happened. And, and as you pointed out, the U.S. Capitol is supposedly one of the most surveilled places in the universe. Oh, which tells surveilled. Which, which proves one of two things. Either it proves, no, it really isn't, because they're having problems finding these people. Or it proves, you know what, they really weren't pressed. Because had, had the speaker been Louis Farrakhan, and the folks who stormed the Capitol happened to be part of the Nation of Islam, totally different reaction. I mean, just the BLM uh, rallies that happened in D.C. And no, you didn't have like the the mass rioting, mass looting, uh, the mass rioting rather, and mass looting that you had in other cities when even when they got a little, little unruly, um, it wasn't anywhere near what you see in other in, what you see in other parts of the country. There were armed guards, armed militia. Well, not not militia. Excuse me, uh, armed. Um, uh, uh, reserve folks on the Capitol grounds and around a number of the monuments prior to those rallies. When Trump decided that he wanted to have a photo op, even though there was a legal and permitted protest, tear gas, let's disperse the crowd. That's a big difference. So if this is the most surveyed Sorry, the most, uh, this is the place with, with, with the most active surveillance all across the Capitol, and they still can't find these people? That tells me all I need to know about what the priorities were and are. So, you know, um, that's, you know, and that's why there are a lot of folks who are still angry about that, regardless of, that's interesting. you know. All right. Yeah, I, 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 I can't. Again, I can't follow you that far. I don't necessarily think that I know why some people were charged and some weren't. I, I think we have some mm -hmm. stories about them, but I don't have. Uh, I do not have the firm conviction about. Uh, you know, the. Um, I, I definitely don't have the firm conviction of. Uh, it would have been well. I do agree that it probably would have been different in some respects. Uh, had it been a BLM riot that charged the Capitol, that, that's certainly true. 
but mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I, I do not, I, I am not amongst those who are convinced it would be, uh, it would have been worse or there would have been more bloodshed than there was or anything like that. I, I, I don't think we have the evidence for that. Yeah, because uh, yeah. for me, I look at how what the, the preparation was prior to this rally versus the preparation prior to the BLM Mount rally. And if for no other reason, the guards on duty were far more numerous and far better armed and far better prepared to take on and take down a crowd for the BLM rallies rather than what happened on January 6th. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so if you're saying if it had been, if, if the, if the in law enforcement had been prepared like they were for the BLM, wouldn't have even gotten that far. Okay. Yeah. I'll buy that. That, that, seems, oh, yeah. that seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to say. Yeah. Um, and also another thing, and this is some of what's come out from the January 6th commission, uh, the reaction from Trump would have been far more swift. Um, there would not have been a delay of, hey, he needs to make a call. He needs to approve of uh, the National Guard to show up. That's the term I was looking for earlier. There wouldn't have been yeah. any question. I, I, I totally disagree with that. I mean, I totally agree with that. You're, you're not going to get me to defend yeah. Trump. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, because we, we will, you know, each of us will defend Trump on other things. But this is not the, this is not the thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that, that is true. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and never the texts that have come out as part of the January 6th commission about how everything from everyone from his son, Laura Ingraham, Sean Hannity, all of them were sending texts and in conversation like, look, he needs to say something. You, you know, you need to get him out there to like, you know, to try and quell this. Meanwhile, on air, they were saying something completely different. They knew what was going yeah. on. Um, yeah, that's true. You know, and this is, you know, so that's this is so yeah. So January sixth continues to be a huge story, and is one of the biggest stories of 2021. And it has been something which has, for some folks, have looked at it with complete disbelief. Others have looked at it and said, "I told you." <laughs> um. And I think that, by and large, both sides are right on that. Yeah. So. All right. Well, um, I, I agree that it's a, I mean, we obviously agree that it's a big story. And I think it's going to continue to be one in the coming year as uh, sentencing for the more serious um, uh, perks, the, the more serious charges uh, comes filters through the, the federal courts. Uh, and um, it'll be interesting to see how much attention it gets and what, how that, um, you know, changes our perspective of what happens. Sure. Yeah, I think also what happens with the midterms, because you had, sticking with January 6th, and I think this is something else that never graduates along with it, how the Republican Party has acted towards January 6th versus how the Democratic Party has acted towards January 6th. Hmm. The Republican sure. Party almost in mass has either been it's all blown out of proportion or nothing actually happened. Whether you look at somebody like, you know, Liz Cheney, of course, is a poster child for this. 
to like, listen, this is jacked up. Here's what we've seen. Here's what we know. This individual needs to be held responsible, so on and so forth. Um, and she was drummed out, not by Trump directly, but by the individuals who are at the top of the party who curry favor with Trump. I mean, McCarthy went from saying on the floor, Trump holds you know, bears significant responsibility for this, to he flies down to Mar-a-Lago, meets with Trump, and since then it's like nothing happened here, you know, we should just simply move on. Um, that's the way the Republican Party has been pretty much in mass. The few individuals who have not been that way are in danger of being primary routes. Um, yeah, uh, that's it, to to, uh, to 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 skip ahead briefly to um, to the to, to the predictions we might get to at the end. I mm-hmm. I, I occasionally listen to a uh, podcast called the the Reason Roundtable from Reason Magazine, uh, which uh, mm-hmm. I I find those guys um, often insightful. Although I certainly have some disagreements with some of them, and one of them came up because they were doing a predictions show as well. And uh, Nick Gillespie, his prediction is that the Republican Party is going to, I think his word was word of choice was jettison. We're going to jettison Trump after the midterm elections. Um, That they were going to, they were going to do well in the midterm elections. And then the Republican elite was going to decide that they did not want to see him show up in 24 and they were going to jettison him. Now, I don't know that uh, that that's even possible. I, I'm not. I definitely think that uh, he's he's reaching with that prediction. But uh, I just wanted mm-hmm. to sort of bring it in as a as a to, to mention it in passing, even as just a point of humor, if nothing else. Oh, uh, and sure. I'll be I'll be I'll be astonished if he's right. Uh, but I will be watching. Yeah, I mean, I will if. If he's right, I'm trying to think of something I could actually physically do. I'm willing to do to put up as some sort of a bet because that is a hard no. Um, even if they could jettison him, which at this point they can't, um, they wouldn't. If the Republican Party had acted, I don't know, I'm going to say it, had they acted responsibly post January 6th, I'd be like, okay, sure, I believe that. But not only have they taken the position of January 6th, nothing happened um, while they went on. I mean, they went on about Benghazi for how many years straight? But January 6th, you know, the insurrection, they don't want to talk about it at all. Not only do you have that, but you have what they have allowed and not come down on in terms of conduct in the House and the Senate. And it's not all Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, sure, Marjorie Taylor Greene is the poster child to that sort of thing, just as for looking at the the left side of the table, people usually point to either um, AOC or Bernie Sanders, usually AOC. Um, but, but between those two, whether I agreed with with their conservative or liberal policies or whatever, AOC at least generally speaking, acts most of the time like an adult in the room. She's not, in my opinion, she's not nearly, she's not nearly the adult in the room as Liz Cheney is. But you stand her next to Marjorie Taylor Greene, 
and she's easily by a wide margin the adult in the room. Yeah, I don't know. She she hasn't covered herself in glory in the past week. Uh, her went on a Twitter rant about everyone who disagrees with her uh, actually is actually just sexually frustrated because they want to date her and can't. Oh, um, yeah, actually, I which, saw that. Yeah, and yeah. that was the response to a specific video. Yeah, <laughs> that was the response then, to a specific video from somebody then, else on the hill. Right. And then and then when somebody said, uh, yeah, I don't want to date you, it was uh, the response was, well, why are you so obsessed with me? Why do you keep bringing it up? Why, why are you saying you don't want to date me? It's not like like you're responding in a vacuum. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. So, I mean, okay, yeah, compared to Marjorie Taylor Greene, you might be right. Uh, yeah. I'm just saying that she often has some deeply immature uh, moments as well. So, but all right, we can. You know, can I'm glad you brought up that situation, though. Well, no, because I think I want to tease this out a little bit. What are your views on the person who started all that? Um. The representative, the man who started who started off that that Twitter slash TikTok spat, because she responded yeah. to what he said about her and her husband. I barely sure she's not married. Got kind of a live-in or boyfriend, boyfriend kind of situation. Sorry. I could be wrong. Yep. Um, my bad. My uh, bad. Yes. Yes. You're no, right. no. That, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not saying you know we've got to got to get up on our get up get up on our soapboxes and preach the sanctity of marriage <laughs> here. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I tend to be of the opinion that um, that if you're going to respond in an immature fashion to something that's immature, you've got to at least accept the consequences of going. Yeah, okay, that was that was a stupid thing. I was referring to. I was responding in an immature way to immature provocation, and maybe I should be better than that, but sometimes you just have to respond in kind. Okay, if you're going to say that, then I'm going to shrug and go, okay, fine. You know, this is public discourse, and this is the way social media works, and we're all halfway into each other's brain stems anyway, and, you know, fine. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, just, I just was less of a fan of the way she doubled down on that afterwards. So that's all. Okay. Yeah. And my thing is, and I'm sure you can see this coming a mile away. I haven't heard him get any heat from you on his calling her out like that, her, his calling out her company, and her and his bringing that whole angle into it to begin with. It's not like she uh, said this out of a vacuum. She was responding yeah. to a specific, to, to something specifically said to her at her by a colleague. Somebody else on the Hill. I cannot remember the representative's name. Now, if this was some random Wahoo, like if it was somebody who had a YouTube channel or was just some, some, some dude somewhere else, then I absolutely have your back. But this is a case, another case, where we have somebody from the right side of the aisle in Congress acting this particular way and think it's acceptable. AOC responds in kind, claps back, and now she's getting smoke, but he's not? That's the thing I kind of want to tease out a bit. Why is it AOC who's in the wrong in this? When she didn't start I, it. 
I I was merely responding to you mentioning AOC as the adult oh. in the room and oh yeah and um, okay yeah so I, I I was I was specifically you know bring coming in on on that score no I certainly have no okay. no defense of the the honorable gentleman and and nor would I um, <laughs> I okay the 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 idea that um, that reasonable discourse should be the norm in our government and the administration in between the between our representatives is a lovely idea that I would like to see us go back to, but that's not the world we're living in right now, and it's annoying. I, I don't like it anywhere I see it. Um, and um, to to the extent that he also has uh, you know doubled down on his bullshit, then he should be uh, he, he should get at least the same amount of of stick that AOC does. Uh, AOC has a larger sure. platform for for obvious uh, in for obvious reasons. Uh, she bears more responsibility, and if she wants to be the adult in the room, she's got to be above this. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Uh, if, if if you're going to respond in an immature fashion and then double down on it, then you're going to be viewed as immature as much as he is. Um, you know, the don't get into a fight with 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 with, with a pig. You're just going to get filthy, and the pig will like it. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, sort sort of applies here, uh, and um, so I I don't my, my my thing is that his his statement doesn't excuse hers. Uh, both are deplorable. Okay. Yeah, and I guess for me, her reaction is not worse than 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 his. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and, and I absolutely, you know, when it comes to adult in the room, um, you know, neither of them are anywhere near Liz Cheney. Um, and the reason why I use Liz Cheney as an example is that's somebody, yeah, because Liz Cheney is somebody whom, I mean, I strongly disagree with her policies and her positions most of the time. But I will always respect her because she says, here is why she does this. She does all this in a respectful manner. Um, I am certainly not a big fan of, of, of AOC, but there is no world I can think of where I'm going to put AOC below or equal to Marjorie Taylor Greene, for example. And it's not like Marjorie Taylor Greene is the only one over there talking crazy nonsense on a continuous basis. Um, but Prior to January 6th, there wasn't a whole lot done about her, but she was kind of viewed as a bit of a fun anomaly. Since January 6th, virtually nothing has happened to her when she spouted off with stuff like this. Well, you know, she did um, She did lose her uh, her personal accounts on Twitter. They, they booted her. Mm-hmm. But they booted her yep, for, uh, for COVID something or other. For, yep. COVID bullshit rather than yep. rather than uh, January 6th bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and none of, you know, and none of those reprimands came from her side of the aisle. She was removed from committees. But that wasn't because McCarthy was like, you know, what you're doing is wrong. She routinely would say things and McCarthy would simply be silent. I mean, the whole yep. Holocaust stuff where Everybody from Bush to Cheney 
to all sorts of other folks on the right-hand side said, you know, this is jacked up. McCarthy had nothing to say. You're not going to get me to defend McCarthy either at this point. So, yeah. 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 Uh, So, and all um, of them, yeah. Do you think we ought to move on to a, to, to a new topic? Sure. Absolutely, we can. We're, we're, we're absolutely kind of got off can. in the weeds there, away from January 6th, so yeah. Yeah, but only but only partially, really, because a lot of that's – I'd say that where we got off on the weeds, the most part was the whole AOC um, bit that happened over this past weekend or the past week or whatever. But still, you know, it, it, it was – I think that looking at what's happened – since January 6th, I thought that was, that was still a very worthy uh, uh, conversation. Um, do we want to completely shift gears and go to crypto breakout year? Well, I, I, was, I, I think we ought to pick one off your list. Oh, sure. <laughs> we can. Absolutely. I mean, we um, alternate. Sure. Um, because, I mean, the reason why I was saying this, this can, this I think can kind of, uh, you know, uh, eventually we're going to get to the center of this, this bingo board. I'll go pandemic <laughs> economy. Okay. So to me, one of the biggest stories, to me, it's the third biggest story for me in 2021 is what I call the pandemic economy. The pandemic oh, economy. I didn't put mine in, I, I, I didn't put oh. mine in actual order. I just no. kind of, yeah, well, well, we went chronological. Okay, great. Right. Pan- yeah. Pandemic economy. Sorry, I completely yeah. the bullshit interrupted. No, it's okay. no, no, all good. Um, yeah, no, because that's uh, because at first I was going to go with my top three, and I was like, okay, and then there, and then I was looking at the chronological order, and the pandemic economy. Two of my stories really start on January first, two thousand twenty-one, or are active January first, two thousand twenty-one, and last the entire year. Uh, the pandemic economy. Because we started to run into we really we started to run into the supply chain the supply chain issue in 2020, and everything was hard to get, so on and so forth. And of course, you had the lockdowns and people leaving the workforce. In 2021, what we've seen there's been some easing of the supply chain, and then it got more difficult. You've seen prices go up and then down slightly in the grocery store skyrocket in home improvement materials and then go down slightly, especially in terms of wood. Um, oh, yeah. But they still haven't gone down to like pre-pandemic levels. But you also have the workforce, and I think that's probably the biggest part of the pandemic economy. Um, with an honorable mention to inflation, which I think is where we're going to have some crossover as well. The workforce, you had individuals who, during 2020, they were essential, and the thing is, we've always, as a society, treated essential personnel as expendable personnel. Um, theoretically, a CEO of a company is supposed to be a more essential person than your person who works in customer service manning a telephone. But when there's a nasty weather event, the person who's on the phone has to come in no matter how dangerous it is. With the pandemic, you have healthcare workers, you have transportation workers. You have all the sundry services around that. Um, people who work in grocery stores, those are the folks who are like, nope, you can't stay at home and sequester. You have to be out here. And we, as a public, treated them 
like absolute crap. So they're being treated treated by crap or treated as crap from their customers, but also their corporate bosses are saying, you know what, we're cutting down to a skeleton crew, but we expect you to hit all of your metrics plus the metrics of the people who are on either side of your desk who aren't there anymore. Get more, get a lot more blood out of out of the stone, but we're not going to give you a raise. People finally said, I've had it. And just in the month of November of 2021, this is actually confirmed on the Washington Post, um, the front page, that you know they say the labor churn is highest on record. 4.5 million people quit or changed jobs in November 2021. It's been called the Great Resignation. Um, unemployment is on its four-week average is currently at a 52-year low. But the pandemic economy has exposed a number of very, very nasty issues, problems, and flaws with our current market, with our current system. Um, and that's not going away within the next six months. So that, I think, is one of the biggest stories, just to kind of give a general overview. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's a, it's a huge one. Um, I guess a couple of things I can say to start off is uh, it'll, two, two things. I, I definitely think that the great resignation is a thing, although I don't really know what shape it's going to end up looking like. Uh, I don't know if it's just take this particular job and shove it, right? Which definitely there are some people who fall into that category. Um, well, there's... Uh... Okay, hold on. You broke up there for, uh, for a moment. Um, the last I heard was take this job and shove it. Fresh R anti-work. That is, um, and anti-work is, you know, one of the big, uh, new, new forms and they're, they're, you know, we're, we're done with this whole, we're done with this whole economy issue. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to end up turning, you know, I, I don't know if it's a reaction against capitalism in some form or if it's just, mm-hmm. um, you know, just frustration with the current the current job environment i don't know but the other thing is uh this was something that i i remembered hearing from i don't know a year and a half ago that remains true which is the pandemic has in some ways brought the future that trends that were you know nascent that were immature that were just budding you know two years ago were were forced into full bloom, you know, things like, um, you know, the, the delivery economy, things like remote work, um, mm-hmm. things, you know, th- those kinds of massive economic changes um, have been accelerated, pushed forward, and I, I think... I think we'd be we'd be kind of crazy if we didn't expect disruptions of some kind to accompany those, to accompany all those changes. That there wouldn't be ripples, uh, and how much of that is just ripples from the new thing, and how much of it is a, a larger issue. I guess is going to shake out. And I guess the third thing I'd say is one of the things that's that's critical about the pandemic economy was the stimulus checks. And those had a specific time and place, you know, uh, late Trump, early, early uh, Biden. And now they're gone and they don't seem to be coming back. 
Um, And the shakeouts from that are also major contributors to what we have to think of as the pandemic economy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And by the way, something you were listing, uh, things like telework and whatnot, another thing is remote entertainment. Movie theaters. Good point. Spectator sports. Um, Billion-dollar industries like that. I mean, I think that that the movie theater um, example is probably the best one to use because we've had the technology to basically allow you to watch a movie at home for decades. Well, decades is a little strong, but certainly for years we could have done this. Um, maybe not to the same level because, you know, uh, 4K and 8K TVs weren't nearly as common 10 years ago. But um, if you're fortunate enough to have a gigantic TV and you have a sound system for it, like uh, uh, I was able to watch Black Widow at home, um, which many parents, I'm sure, kind of like that option. Because otherwise, it was you'd have to spend X number of dollars to hire a babysitter, um, and then you run out to the movie theater, um, come back, and, you know. Um, but you did have a case that I think was kind of important, where Scarlett Johansson sued Disney because of the Disney Plus release of her movie, and they were able to yeah. come to an agreement. Yeah. Um, but movie theaters and the movie industry has pushed very strongly. To make sure that movies are just run, first run in the theater, um, delaying how quickly it shows up on streaming services. Uh, HBO Max is a bit of an outlier right now, but that is another part of the pandemic economy. That whole mental approach, not just simply of "Hey, we're the industry, we want, we want to try and dictate terms," but also we're the consumers. We're not so sure we want to go back into your stadiums yet. And undoubtedly, yeah, there's some I, I there, there, yeah. yeah. I, I think we're also I think we're also going to see uh, an interesting uh, split between uh, sort of the, the the basic movie experience will probably redu- be reduced. I, I don't know if it's ever going to ever going to come back to where it was. And you'll mm-hmm. have. I think uh, I guess we're I guess we're we're segueing into predictions here slightly, but I think what you're going mm-hmm. to end up with is um, less people just casually going to the movies the way they used to because they'll do some of that at home, but then the really sort of event specialized things, right? They'll 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 still be, you know, the one movie that you really want to see on a 50 foot screen. Uh, in in an easy chair with uh, you know at one of those draft house gastro pub kind of places with you know someone bringing you food and drink and appetizers and right there's still going to be there's going to be maybe more of those right where, where a movie is a part of a larger experience that you're paying for. Um, you know, like uh, what are those uh, the the Alamo movie and draft houses or whatever mm. they are that are that there are a couple of those around the country. Um, yes, those those kinds of things. I think you might get more of those and less sort of generic 
know, AMC's Regals or whatever. Maybe. I don't know. It's just, just, just that's just a thought. Um, you know, it, it might still be part of a part of a, a, a an even. You know, when the next special effects blockbuster shows up, maybe they'll want to uh, release it in the movies for a little while before it comes out on other video. But then maybe you're one of the top movies in a weekend. Maybe those they want to go straight to a streaming service because you're going to get more people being interested in it on a slightly more casual level. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Um, and also sticking with the, the uh, uh, economy, the uh, pandemic economy, inflation. Because yeah. inflation is something that people are right now paying very close attention to. Yeah. And there's no yeah. doubt that the, um, there's no doubt that the, the pandemic checks had were a contributing factor to that. They certainly weren't the mm -hmm. only contributing factor, but they were definitely part of the part of the story. Um, so hopefully, you know, this surge of inflation will calm down a bit. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll see. Yeah, I think it will calm down, but uh, you know, but yeah, but it's certainly, you know, the the checks and. You know, and the, and good grief! And then there's the child tax credit. My goodness, that's that's a fight I believe is worth fighting for. You know, um, it has helped a lot of people, but there are people who are not a fan of it. Yeah. Yeah. But you want to yeah. do you want to highlight do you want to highlight our bet because we actually have a bet about that. Oh yeah, recall. That's right. Yeah, a, a, there's there's a there's there's a single shiny token on the line here. Um, mm -hmm. because my now correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, clear, clarify my memory. Uh, you held that in the midterm elections, this was going to be a big. Uh, a big fight that at least one of the topics was going to be the child tax credit and there was going to be a big fight about it as Democrats tried to maintain it and Republicans tried to end it more or less uh, in the um, in, in the fight for House seats and maybe Senate seats. Uh, mm -hmm. And my take was that it won't be a big fight about that, that either both sides are going to tacitly agree that it's become part of the, you know, it's become a third rail in much the same way as, you know, um, various other kinds of social welfare are, and therefore it'll be untouchable, or it's going to just fade away without a ripple with both sides, with neither side mentioning it, wanting to make a big deal yeah. out of it. Yeah. And in my opinion, you are definitely... Does that comport with what you recall? Yep. Yep. Okay. And I'm not completely okay, so we've, ready we've got, to. We 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 we've got a shiny token writing on that come November. Yep. Um, and right now, I would say you are easily in the lead on that. <laughs> uh, I know, we'll, we will see. Yeah. We will see. I don't know. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of like you know, looking at 
at, at Mansion in particular, I kind of think that what's going to wind up happening is either the Democrats are not going to mention it because Manchin would have killed it. And they're like, well, you know, we don't have this. So let's not talk about it. Um, or if anybody brings it up, um, the Republicans might say, see, they were trying to do these socialist programs and we defeated them. Yeah. Um, but I think it's going to be more, a lot more column A than column B. But yeah, no. So I would say I was, I was, I was, I was wrong <laughs> on that. I mean, well, I'm not. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, hey, I'm not trying to get out of the bet. But you know. there, there's still, there's still plenty of time to go on this. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but I guess hopping to predictions on the the economy, uh, the, specifically the pandemic economy. Um, my thing is a year from now, I think the job market would have settled a little bit, but not nearly as much as it should have. Um, and I'm kind of taking cues from that, from what I think is going to be, which what my pick is the number one story, but just simply with the way people and humans have been uh, during the pandemic and reacting to the economy, because you have a combination of folks who hopped out of the workforce but you also have companies who are like, you know, we enjoy these razor, razor thin margins and we are willing to either continue to make people feel miserable as our employees or try and get new folks to come in and burn them up, chew them up as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, I think they're going to run into a bit of a wall because um, it's, it's not like there is a large workforce right now. It is, you know, it, right now, if you're looking at changing jobs or getting a job or something along those lines, this is the best economy for a job seeker that we've seen in a long time. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, and I think one of the numbers that tells that story is, um, workforce participation. Uh, I, I was just I was just looking at the numbers about that uh, not too long ago. So over the last 25 years, workforce participation has been eh, has been so yeah a quarter century ago it was around 67, 68 percent, and that's uh, that that means that that percentage of you know uh, of um, you know reasonably uh, reasonably well. Um, of, of adults who are basically capable of work, right? So it doesn't include it doesn't include children, doesn't include retirees, doesn't include you know people who are disabled for various reasons or um, out of the workforce for um, those kinds of reasons. So workforce participation, 68 percent. It's drifted downward a little bit through the Bush and Obama years, and then. You know, fell off a cliff, of course, during the um, during the pandemic, and mm-hmm. then after, and then in the past year, it's it's come back up to, I think, around sixty two percent. So we've lost roughly five percent in twenty five years workforce participation, um, and that's that's an interesting number, right? That that there's more people who just 
aren't working and are they working or are they or is it just that they're they are working in some way that's not registering in the economy and i don't know the answer to that right um may i ask a brief question sure do you believe that being a homemaker should be counted in that uh, for example, those who are currently staying at home because they need to take care of their kids. That is a very good question, and I, I didn't, okay, I'm I'm an amateur at almost everything, and that includes being in, being an economist. So hmm. I, I can see arguments for um, no, they should be counted because they are uh, employed to the benefit of our you know our larger civilization by doing the work that they're doing um and i can also see arguments of something along the lines of okay what we're really interested in in these economic numbers is the way money circulates and so various kinds of uh various kinds of work that are remunerated in you know feeling good about life or the benefits of your children or the, uh, the, 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 the health of the old people that you're taking care of in your family or whatever else, uh, you know, are benefits to society, but shouldn't be counted in the kind of economic numbers that we're interested in. Um, okay. And I, I, I think it's, I think so the partially the question is dependent on what, what do you want these numbers to tell us? You want these numbers to tell us things about the circulation of money in our economy, or do you want them to tell us tell us some larger story about how value is created, even in ways that are not, you know, directly uh, um, related to dollars and cents? And I, I think we may want answers to both of those, so maybe we want different metrics for those. Okay. That, that, that's kind of a that, that, that's kind of a weasel answer. It's a it's it's a yes mm -hmm. and kind of answer. Yeah. Um, so I I don't I, I don't I guess I don't have a really strong opinion on it. Uh, other than sure. I guess if we if we nailed down exactly what kinds of questions we wanted answers to, maybe it would be clarify whether we want those kinds of those kinds of efforts in our numbers or not. Sure. Um, and I want to tease this out a little bit uh, in terms of the economy and childcare and being a homemaker. Schools, because as we are recording this episode, the Omicron variant has really, I mean, it's, I think the latest is the latest numbers are like 98.4% of all new cases are the Omicron variant. Um, and you had hug of war between, um, I mean, the third largest school district is Chicago. And you have a number of folks from Biden to Hannity. <laughs> Never thought you'd see these two guys on the same side. From DeSantis to, um, oh, darn, I'm trying to remember the mayor of New York. But all I'm saying, we need to keep the schools open, and it is safe to do so for kids. Yeah, thank you. 
Yeah, although, no, 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 de Blasio is no longer male, mayor at, at this point, the new mayor. Oh, you mean, you mean the um, new one, Adams. Yes, Adams, thank you, thank you. Um, but all these folks are saying, you know what, we want, you know, kids will be safe in schools, we know how to keep them safe, let's keep schools open. But the union, you know, the teachers union in Chicago, um, and it is important to state that the, te- that the teachers union does not necessarily reflect the views of all teachers that are members or most teachers necessarily so simply um but there is a great deal of opposition coming from a number of teachers unions across the country um and where that comes into being is if you move to a remote teaching a remote learning um situation and we have seen that remote learning bare minimum has not been as good as in-person learning in terms of what the numbers tell us so far. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, this is this is something that's going to be a story in the coming couple of years unless people successfully manage to sweep it under the bus just because it looks so bad. But the 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 numbers for how much uh, how how much progress has been lost. Uh, in our in our, our our public schools is just is going to be astonishing mm-hmm. to many many people um, and I think one of the things that's going to do is it's going to increase the argument for uh, charter schools private schools backpack funds that follow kids around instead of district funding um, that's that's going to be there's going to be a lot of pressure that pushes in that direction. Uh, as as these as this this exact story you're talking about continues to unfold in 22 and maybe beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and by the way, as we're recording this, um, there is you know the, uh, the kids in Chicago who are supposed to start back at school today are not in school. There is no in-person learning. There is no remote learning um, because of the deadlock between. Um, you know, between the school district and the teachers union, because teachers union was saying, nope, remote learning only. Um, nope. Yeah, because on Tuesday night, according to this article on CNN, for example, on Tuesday night, the teachers union voted to teach virtually rather than in classrooms, prompting district leadership to cancel school for Wednesday. Um, now, why is that relevant to the pandemic economy? Huge. We as a society in the United States and large portions of the Western world, but Sigma of the United States. We basically treat school as daycare. um, It's one of the things that so greatly affected the workforce. When you had the pandemic and you had lockdowns and you had remote learning, somebody had to stay home with the younger kids. And there were a lot of people who dropped out of the workforce for that reason. Now, speaking from firsthand experience, I did not drop out of the workforce for that reason. I initially, just briefly to catch up, um, I um, left my previous job to handle a number of things um, that were, you know, that involved an estate. Um, and the plan was once everything was handled, everything was done, I was going to hop back into the workforce. We moved March 10th, 2020, one week before the world shut down. So I'm speaking as a parent who basically has been home taking care of the kids. 
uh, for quite some time. And now there is in-person learning. Um, but the thing that I was waiting for was making sure that, you know, that everybody in the house has been vaccinated. Um, so it was waiting on kids being able to, vac- to be vaccinated. That has a toll on the economy. I am not anywhere close to unique. I'm fortunate, but I'm nowhere close to unique. It's very, it was very common. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very common for there to be a parent who, you know, where, where if you had a two parent household, somebody had to make the choice of who's going to stay at home with the kid or kids. And when you, you know, and, and for those households where there was one parent, what are the options that, that a person has? Do I drop out of the workforce and stay home with my kid? Do I try and find some sort of way to keep my kid somewhere else so they can learn remotely while I go and earn a paycheck? Because we have to take care of rent or the mortgage. We absolutely must eat. And there is no way I can go without insurance if I have insurance already, especially during a pandemic. So all of that are those are all huge stressors on the pandemic economy. And yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um and being able to get kids vaccinated and having schools open is a major issue that continues to play out. And Omicron has gone crazy. I mean, it looked at Delta and said, Hold my beer. Um the upside with Omicron is it seems to burn out more quickly. Um that's some of what we're seeing around the globe. Those, uh, a number of the first places that were hit by, by Omicron are you know, the numbers are trending in the right direction. Um, and we've had other oh, things that I, have popped up. I, yes. I, I've, yes I've, heard, I've heard a lot of people, I've heard a lot of people, you know, in somewhat similar situations who are like, uh, yeah, man, I feel really sorry for the people who had to leave their kids in public school because my kids in private school and, you know, they closed for two weeks last year. And other than that, they're, they're, they're open, right? There's not a, there's no teacher's union. Uh, Maybe they've got a mask mandate. Maybe they don't. Maybe they've got a vaccine mandate. Maybe they don't, but you know, a lot of the private schools, they're just, they're just open. They're just keeping on, keeping on. Uh, And that's going to be an additional kind of class divide that's going to show up in coming years as students, you know, matriculate from, uh, from, you know, I, I was, my parents were able to send me to private school where we never closed basically versus Chicago public schools. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what do you see in your crystal ball for, uh, the next 11 and a half months <laughs> for schooling? Well, for the economy in general, the pandemic economy, because I and only because and the reason why I brought up schooling is I think that is a major factor. Well, okay, so I think there's going to be continuing political pressure that involves the the large teachers unions. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of noise about that, and I don't know exactly which way it's going to end up. Um, right now you've got. If okay, so the the teachers' unions exert a lot of political pressure on the Democratic Party. However, there are a lot of parents that are 
very upset with teachers unions who are usually fairly strong uh, fairly strong supporters of the Democrats, but are very frustrated with some of the moves that that teachers unions have been either a major mover on or a significant contributor to involving school closings and a couple of related issues. Uh, I think we saw shades of that in Virginia, Virginia governor mm-hmm. gubernatorial election. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it was the dominant issue, but it was it was up there. It was it was fairly fairly high on the list. Um, and I think we will see some of those pressures going on into the future. Um, how that's going to break out, I, I simply have no idea. I don't know if the teachers unions, you know, change their ways and, um, uh, you know, acknowledge some of the mistakes and take a new course, or if there's more of a break between uh, yeah, between the, the, the political uh, lockstep that the large unions and the Democratic Party have been in. Maybe there's some cracks that start to show in that. Um, or, you know, maybe maybe things just keep on going on until something even more dramatic happens. I, I, don't, have a, I don't have a strong feeling about that. But e- either way, uh, it, it's not going away, this issue, uh, at least not, not really soon. Probably not yeah. this year. Um, I agree with a lot of that. I think that my prediction over the next year in regards to the pandemic economy, um, because, you know, I think that what will happen is we kind of are going to start to recognize we have a cycle. During the summer, the economy will open up. You're going to have kids who are out of school. Um, and I'd say that when you get to spring, the numbers will start to come down and having kids back in school will not really be the battleground and the, and or the barrier to having folks out in the workforce. Um, I think that a lot of this musical chairs will still be going on until about eh, July, August. And by when I say musical chairs, I'm talking about people who are leaving their jobs, changing jobs, et cetera. I think it's going to start to settle down around August um, because I think that people start to recognize there is a new normal. I do believe that the supply chain issues will have abated somewhat and, infl- and uh, inflation will come down somewhat by about August to October. Um, you'll still have some supply chain issues, especially around Christmas. Um, just because that's the way retail works. Although there are a lot of packages that made it on time this year, a lot more so than a lot of people expected. Um, but I think that one year from now, we will see, at least in the United States, a relatively decent economy. I suspect Wall Street is not going to be terribly happy during December, um, November and December, um, this is the last part of this, um, because I expect the midterms will go in the Republicans' favor. And businesses, while they recognize that Republicans tend to look out for the higher end, they also recognize what that means for the simple workforce, for your low-end and mid-level folks. And those groups do tend to skew Democratic when it comes to the Wall Street sector. 
by Wall Street sector, I mean your your white collar jobs. Um, so, you know, um, so I guess those are kind of my predictions, um, barring one of a couple okay, of so things. Okay, here, so here's here's mm-hmm. a place where I I don't necessarily I mean we you're, we we can bet another shiny token if you want, but I, I think mm-hmm. I would take the other side of the Wall Street issue. In other words. Um, what I mean is that I suspect that the Republicans are going to do well in the in the midterms, and yes. I think that I think that on the whole, Wall Street is going to like that. I think Wall Street is going to is going to say gridlock is good, uh, and hmm. that uh, and and will be will be fans of the of the idea of divided governments and. Um, and and uh, to the extent that that has an effect on you know what the what the Dow or the S and P looks like, it'll be positive. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I I think I think you're right about the way the midterms are going to go in that respect. Uh, but I would take the I think Wall Street will take the the other the other um, uh, response to that. Okay. Cool. Um, by the way, we are at the one minute twenty some odd mark. Um, I don't know how your schedule is like because we can move on to the next, which would be one of yours. Yeah, let's do let's let's do one more uh, let's do one more one more one more big big story. Yeah. Uh, all right. Okay. Well, my next my next big story is uh, crypto breakout year. Whew. And what I mean by that is not necessarily just you know the how does uh, how does the price of Bitcoin or Ethereum look compared to you know January last year because we've seen I mean th- there's been some movement but it's not that's not the story the story is the story is a breakout into other things uh, I think one thread of the story is mainstream acceptance. And I think this is uh, the poster child for this is there's a there's a guy named uh, Ray Dalio that you'll know if you, um, if, uh, it, it, you know, follow uh, investment and economy stories. He's the um, he, he's he's one of our billionaires. And he's the founder, I think, I think the sole founder or one of the co-founders of uh, Bridgewater Associates, which is the largest hedge fund in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has publicly acknowledged that uh, crypto, crypto coins, particularly things like Bitcoin, have been around for long enough that they have, they have stood the test of time. They should be considered to be you know, at least as good of a investment category as, you know, most other kinds of categories, even including things like, I don't know, fine art or precious metals or whatever. Right. Uh, And that if you're if you're an investor in the world and you take yourself seriously, then crypto should be part of your portfolio. Some respect. Uh, And I think that that is that that kind of mainstream acceptance that there's that it's been enough time is going to um, is going to filter outward was was one of the big stories of 2021 and is going to filter outward in the next few years 
and will cause a um, you, you'll start to see crypto kinds of things filtering out into the larger economy. But I think even more important are two developments that that sort of piggyback on crypto that um, that require crypto to work, but are uh, almost second second order effects. And the first one of those are NFTs. And NFT, uh, if you're coming to this fresh, stands for non fungible token. It uh, is basically anything that uh, that has that, that 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 is basically has an address on on some some blockchain that can help record a the history of ownership or transferal of property. Uh, in the in 2021, it was fairly ludicrous and took the form of you know stupid looking pictures of monkeys or um, <laughs> you know uh, or um, uh, 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 celebrities trying to um, mint coins with their face on it, more or less. Uh, and there's there's been and there's also a lot of memes. Alt and what? No, and of course memes like the the uh, girl oh, yes. who was smiling in front of the burning house. Yes, that's right. That one sold for what a quarter million or something. I mean, it was up there. Uh, mm -hmm. So, but the. The, the way NFTs presented themselves in, in 2021 was, was faintly ridiculous to a lot of people, or even not faintly, just absolutely ridiculous. But going forward, what's going to happen with those is that they're going to start being used in more and more interesting ways. Uh, I think the first place we're going to see them is in the gaming world. You're going to see uh, video games, mobile games, uh, games that are, you know, console based or, you know, PC games, those kinds of things. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it hits, you know, larger mobile games first. But the point is, is that you're going to have uh, assets that are NFTs, various in-game assets, whether they're Know, items that are attached to a character in some sort of an RPG setting or some, something else along those lines um, that are going to be NFTs in the sense that they can be traded within the economy. They will be tracked on various uh, blockchain or blockchain adjacent ledgers. Um, they will start being worth more and more real money. And one of the things this is going to do is it's going to create a literal revolution in how games work. And what I mean by that is that going forward, we're going to end up more and more in a world that looks a little bit like, uh, I don't know, let's say Ready Player One, where you've got a larger collection of connected networks that uh, right now Facebook is trying to dominate and call the metaverse. <laughs> and you will have uh, games that will be longer term, longer term things. Games in the past have been, you know, they're big for a year or two. Sometimes they, they keep a fan base for a while longer. Um, Sometimes they drag out, you know, if they're World of Warcraft, there are still people playing them. Or, and occasionally, you know, you've got the, the sort of long tail of the people who are still playing 
I don't know what what pre pre World of Warcraft game. What was what was the big one? Uh, um. Oh yeah, man. I feel like I should remember uh, those what, War- Yeah, you, you're not thinking about Warhammer 40k, are you? No, 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 no. I'm talking about uh, the video games, uh, massive multiplayer games that were around before they're still being played. They're, they're like, uh, you know, pre-Guild Wars, there was... Oh. I don't even remember. Yeah. Um, um, okay. Shoot. Elder Scrolls. But the point is that... Uh, the point is that once people have these assets, there's going to be a market for maintaining a world in which these assets are useful and valuable. It's going to contribute to longer-term thinking in game worlds. Um, and this is, this is going to be very, very interesting to watch. And then NFTs are going to be used lots and lots of other ways, because literally anything that is a digital asset can be an NFT. And the things that can be digital assets are nearly as or maybe even more numerous than the categories of things that can be physical assets. Um, So the rise of NFTs that you saw in 2021 is the start of something generally and seriously uh, earth moving for the, for the next uh, decades or, or further, I think. And then the other thing that we even saw that's even more in its infancy than NFTs are DAOs, DAOs, uh, which stands for Distributed Autonomous Organizations. And these are organizations that come together for specific purposes that are bound by rules and use smart contracts that are exercisable and uh, and executable on on various kinds of blockchain or blockchain adjacent uh, ledgers. And these DAOs can be, again, almost anything. One of the one of the big ones this year was the Constitution DAO, where somebody raised, uh, I don't know, what was it, forty five million dollars through the organization of a DAO in an attempt to buy uh, one of the surviving copies of the Constitution. And this was a wow. this was a um, a smart contract based uh, organization that was that was running on uh, a, I think a layer two or layer three off of the Ethereum network um, that people invested with by basically transferring uh, you know dollars and pledging them into this this DAO and the smart contract was the kind of thing where you know if this thing worked. If it was executed, then the smart contract guaranteed that all the money was there and the action would take place. And if it failed, then literally nothing happened. Right? You didn't have to move your money. You didn't have to pledge it to you know, something. You didn't have to transfer it into an account. Uh, and it was, it was done and over that fast, but it was powerful enough to move millions and millions of dollars and lots of people and get a lot of attention. There are people talking about using uh, DAOs to create um, uh, local, you know, clubs that will attempt to have um, political impact. Um, you know, we will, we will. Uh, it, it's almost a um, a route around 
local election laws. Uh, there's going to be distributed autonomous networks are going to be um, are going to be dynamic and they're going to be increasingly impactful in coming years. And we're going to remember that they started in 2021, uh, but the effects are going to ripple onward for a long, long way. And then the other the other final thing that I wanted to mention in regards to the crypto breakout year was El Salvador which was mm. El Salvador decided that Bitcoin was going to be an official currency in the country. Uh, this happened back in, was it July, I think? Maybe even late June, so half a year ago or more. Um, mm -hmm. And the implementation has been a bit ragged, right? I mean, I don't know, I don't know if this is going to be a success yet, but the president of the country recently said that you know, it's going about as well as he expected it to. And he thinks that at least two more countries are going to adopt it soon. Now, you know, soon he might be he might be blowing smoke. He might be blustering. I don't know what he knows, you know, that I don't know. I don't know which countries he's pointing at in that regard. But Bitcoin becoming an official currency of a, you know, a, a real country happened in 2021 and if it does spread to a couple more countries in 2022 then that will definitely have been the start of something very important going forward so those are my those are my three reasons why i consider 21 to be a crypto breakout year and uh, i think the the ripples from all three of those things are going to be felt in the future um the extent that some of them will just some of them are going to be tidal waves and what i mean by that i'm going to say this specifically web3 is definitely coming and we're if, if you're if you're paralleling it if you're thinking about it in terms of web2 we're still in the myspace age of of web3 mm -hmm. uh, or even even earlier than that the the googles and the facebooks of web3 haven't haven't even yet been founded, but they're coming. Well, and and what is Web3? They're going to dwarf uh, uh, um, Facebook and, and Google. They're, they're coming. Web3 is the next iteration of the internet. And it's characterized by a number of things. One of the things that it's going to be based on it, it, it is, is that it's more individual. Web2 was very centralized behemoth companies uh you know that dominate the space and dominate the web web3 is is more granular it's more about individual ownership it's more about incorporating crypto um and what it's going to look like um you know is still i mean you, you can make some slightly educated guesses but I'm absolutely certain that the future is going to surprise us with what it what it turns into. Okay. Uh, and right, I, I think that one of the, I'll say one other thing is that one of the things you can you can point at to the that the that people are that, that the big players are scared of Web3 is specifically what Facebook did with the, the meta thing. Facebook knows that Web3 is coming and its its days are kind of numbered as a dominant player now now facebook 
the, the company, the, the massive investment vehicle that Facebook is, um, is, uh, you know, definitely trying to survive um, and trying to make moves to uh, incorporate as much Web3 as it can uh, and survive that way. And maybe it will be successful. I don't know. Um, I, I don't I don't have particularly high hopes for it, but uh, it could it could, you know, survive. Um, by, you know, just being big enough to absorb enough Web3 stuff that it changes shape. Um, but the whole metaverse move that they made is is all about positioning themselves to not become a dinosaur when web as web three uh, rises. Uh, and I, I, the, the, the crypto people that I hear from seem to, you know, kind of snort derisively at them, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, the, yeah, yeah, you, you, you keep trying that granddad, uh, but it's not going to work, but you know, who knows, maybe it will. I'm not, uh, I'm not convinced that it won't work either. So there you go. What, what what do you make of that as a big story? Well, let me ask you a question. Who do you what do you think would be the two biggest names or, or the two most important names for cryptocurrency, especially in two thousand twenty one? Because I have two. Uh, you mean names of people or organizations or what, what? What kind of names are you looking for? Sure, sure, either. Uh, in the coming year. Oh, no, I'd say actually in 2021, who would you say are the two most important names in crypto? Um, well, when it comes to, uh, to the, the, I mean, I, don't, I guess it depends on which one ends up being the biggest, right? If, if two more countries adopt Bitcoin, then I'm going to go with the president of El Salvador. <laughs> okay. Right? Okay. Um, so what, 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 are you, what are you thinking? To me, the two most important names in terms of crypto during 2001 are Matt Damon and Tom Brady. The reason why I say Matt Damon and Tom Brady, Matt Damon is, you know, this is, this is a commercial that popped up towards the end of the year um, for crypto.com. You know, this whole, it's a yeah. cool thing where he answers like, you know, uh, with, the top, with the expression has been shared by the Romans, fortune favors the bold. And this is a TV commercial for Crypto.com. Also, the other name is Tom Brady. Tom Brady was in a commercial uh, for, hey, listen, it's Crypto. Are you in? It was, it, it's another TV commercial on a bunch of uh, sports ball games. Or not have you. Uh, were there people who, who he's talking to? I think he starts off talking to his wife. He starts calling people, and, you know. Uh, and it, it's a very cool, fun commercial. But here's why I say those are the two biggest and most important names for crypto in 2021. I often spend a lot of time talking about buy-in. You need to have buy-in from the general public for a movement to be successful. Um, if you didn't have a buy-in from critical mass, you would still have slavery in this country or you would have a different country. Um, things like that. You have to have a buy-in. When you have Household names like Matt Damon and Tom Brady, hucking cryptocurrency, that 
is a watershed level buy-in in my view. Because okay. you didn't hear that with Ethereum. You'd hear Bitcoin on like the news, but people are like, Bitcoin, what's a Bitcoin? I don't know, it's like a Kuran, only it's like something else. No, no, it's digital currency. But now that you have, it's reached a level where you have a Tom Brady, you have a Matt Damon on regular television, hucking cryptocurrency. Um, that is a level of cultural adoption that will drive this forward and potentially ensure its adoption. Uh, I'm not going to say globally, but across, but, but across large swaths of the world. El Salvador, I think that's very important. I think it's major, but you know, but uh, most people in the United States um, don't know that El Salvador did that. But there are far more people who know who Matt Damon is and know who Tom Brady is than would know that fact. So that, I think, is a very important point in 2021. That's where we reach the point where cryptocurrency in general, not just Bitcoin, but crypto in general, reach the point where you have household names bringing it into your living room. Or onto your, not just onto your phone through ads, into your living room when you're watching a movie or a TV show or a news program or a sporting event. Yeah. And that's where your average person is going to hit. You know, so. No, that's a, that's a, that's yeah. a very good indicator. And, and I would definitely attach that to the, um, the uh, um, popular, popular attention, you know, like I would, like I would point it. Ray Dalio, as the mm -hmm. you know the the Bridgewater guy talking about how you know you should have it. That's uh, Ray Dalio is a guy that you know non crypto investors pay a lot of attention to, in much the same way that you know Tom Brady is someone that you know non financial people pay attention to, right? And that's the important bit: non financial people yeah. pay attention to Tom Brady. Yeah, um, okay. I, you I can be yeah, yeah. That, so. so. Yeah, I mean, as many I would say that as many people recognize the name Tom Brady as recognize Merrill Lynch, possibly more so. Yeah, yeah, and that's a I, I, would, I would probably say more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a statement. So people who know Merrill Lynch, you know, or you know, E.F. Hutton, yeah, when E.F. Hutton talks, yeah, my, my guys are E.F. Hutton. Anyway, he says, "Everybody's quiet." Yeah, uh, tell me you're Gen X without saying you're Gen X. <laughs> um, yeah, I was gonna say that that definitely dates you. I'm, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. I got you though. But the fact that I mean, because your average person knows about Merrill Lynch, and they you know they hear Merrill Lynch like, oh yeah, they're like Wall Street people or something. But they know Tom Brady. They know that name, whether right. they're into sports or not. At this point, um, they will see and recognize Matt Damon. And it's all fine, well, and cool for investment people to think this is a worthwhile investment or worthwhile getting into. When you're able to get the average person on the street to say, hey, let me check this thing out, that's a whole different level. Merrill Lynch doesn't reach those people, usually. Yeah, yeah um, that's a very good you point. Could, yeah. Yeah. So I'm quite certain when you have the most brilliant minds investing talking about this, 
that is extremely, that's vital. However, comma, <laughs> it is not as influential as one of the most well-known athletes or one of the most well-known actors saying, hey, this is, check this thing out. People aren't going to go to these websites or, invest, or, or investigate these things because Tom Brady is some financial expert or Matt Damon understands investments on a level that I don't or you don't. They're going to check it out because, hey, I saw Matt Damon in The Martian. Dude, he's like an awesome like actor. You know, or Tom Brady, I love or hate that guy because of his New England Patriots slash Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Super Bowl, football, whatever. Right. That's the difference. Yeah. So, um, I mean, just as the tipping point for smart home industry was the Amazon Echo, not because you suddenly had this awesome technology, because you had had this technology for a while. It's that the Amazon Echo was able to bring what they were able to bring this to uh, the masses sounds wrong. They were able to bring it to folks who were not interested in Silicon Valley, only have heard the term Silicon Valley, but couldn't tell you what a cloud was other than something that blows in the air. Yeah. And the smart home industry has exploded because of that. They've breached the threshold from people who are in the business, who know the business, to people who are outside of the business and are willing to spend money. I think well, there's potentially the I, I also. Thing. Yeah, I, I also think we should mm -hmm. probably point at the people who are deeply scared or alarmed about crypto, including the fact that um, both uh, both Trump and uh, Hillary Clinton in the same week, I, I want to say it was like yeah. uh, the week before Christmas or the maybe the second week of December, uh, expressed uh, dismay and alarm about uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, yes. Saying that she was she was scared about it uh, threatening the U.S. dollar as uh, one of as a as the global reserve currency, and uh, I remember sharing that with you and saying, uh, you know, what kind of world are we now in? What what sign of the apocalypse is this that Trump and Clinton and me all agree on something? <laughs> that, uh -huh. that it's going to be big. That yes, in fact, it does possibly threaten. U.S. dollar as a reserve global currency in the future, that uh, you should be worried about the impacts that this is going to have. You should be thinking about the ways this is going to go. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I maybe maybe even including in the breakout year, the fact that major politicians are expressing alarm and confusion about it, uh, it filters into that as well. Yeah. Because actually, I think that, that that particular score of, or square rather, of Trump and Clinton agreeing on a significant issue replaced the murder hornet square on the 2020 bingo card. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's good. Yes. Uh, yeah. Murder hornet. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, although the thing is, even with that, Far as significant as that is, far fewer people are going to be moved by the two of them agreeing on that and, and those two individuals expressing a view on cryptocurrency. I don't think nearly as many people are going to be moved 
as ones who saw Matt Damon and Tom Brady on television. No, 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 you're, you're absolutely right about that. And and part of that, I think, yeah. has something to do with the fact that, you know, both Trump and Clinton said that, but I don't think any of the sort of major national news organizations made a big deal out of it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there were, you know, probably, you know, down on the, you know, third page of their, of their, you know, website, there was, you know, a little blurb about what they said, and that was pretty much it. Um, mm-hmm. So, so the... So major media is not yet uh, is not yet concerned about this issue. So, nope. but maybe uh, maybe Tom Brady talking about it will uh, will change their mind too. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean that's especially if we start to see more and more commercials with more celebrities. That will only happen if Crypto.com and I can't remember who Tom Brady's advertising for. If they are actually able to recognize a significant return on that investment. Because yeah. let's be honest, Tom Brady ain't cheap. <laughs> uh, very true. You know, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, now sure, Tom Brady also makes more in a long weekend than uh, I expect to any time in this life. But, you know. <laughs> and is out-earned by his wife, by a significant fa- uh, a factor. And his wife's <laughs> retired. Oh uh, yeah, well, I you know, agree. It, yes, I guess if you if if you if you choose that well in the first place, then all right. Yeah, yeah, I I, I ain't mad. <laughs> right, I ain't mad. There are people who are. I'm not. I'm like, hey, <laughs> you got it like that. That's awesome. That's like you know, um, I don't know. You you're like a superhero, and you have like I don't know, Spider Man level powers. But your girlfriend has like Wonder Woman level powers. And you're like, hey, <laughs> I mean, I'm good and all, but I ain't that. I'm I'm very cool. glad that you were the first one to mention uh, comic book stuff so that when I get to my geekiest prediction in like, I don't know, at the rate this conversation is going sometime about five hours from now, uh, it, it won't be <laughs> the, it, it won't, it won't come as a complete surprise to anyone. So, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, yeah, but uh, you know, now I do think that if we have, and this is uh, hopping back to a more serious level, if slash when we have another country adopting cryptocurrency and specifically Bitcoin as an official currency, uh, you know, that I think is is something to take great note of. Um, I think it will depend on what nation that is. Um, I'm not trying to disparage any nation, but I believe there is a difference between India accepting it and Djibouti accepting it, just in terms of their status within the global economic scale. Um, so if Djibouti accepts it as as their, their as an official currency, that is significant, but it is not on the same level as, say, South Korea doing that um or egypt doing that you know um <laughs> or israel that would be man that would be a thing <laughs> if israel yeah, were to yeah, accept would. cryptocurrency that'd be woo-hoo, woo-hoo, that would be a thing and a half i mean talk yeah, about the I'm, african nation that thinks it's european go on yeah <laughs> I, you know, I was just i was actually trying to think about okay so what 
what what what would the next shoe to drop be? And I mean, at first I was thinking it'd probably be you know maybe a maybe a, a Central African nation where they're you know they're worried about inflation anyway. Uh, their currency is either dominated by you know but is dominated by one of the outside powers anyway right now. Maybe that's China because of China's infrastructure in Africa. Maybe it's maybe it's somebody else, right? And this is this is their way of uh, expressing some or trying to you know chip out some independence. Uh, on the other mm-hmm. hand, it could also be like Switzerland. Right? Switzerland Switzerland prides itself on being you know an international hub for for finance of various kinds. Mm. And right, so if Switzerland does it, then you know what does that mean as compared to a Central African nation, or you know, I, I don't know, the one of the what well, one one of the Caribbean nations that's already a tax haven, where you kind of shrug and go, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, they would, wouldn't they? But but if Switzerland yeah, it does it, right, then yeah, exactly, Cayman Islands, sure. But if Switzerland does it, then and you know they're the kind of country that might. It just might, right? They yeah. they do weird shit like that sometimes in the financial world. I, I'm certainly not making a prediction there. I don't have any strong feelings that they're that they're aiming that way. But it would be fascinating if they did. Oh my god, that would be fascinating. It's Frontline Francis Parker doing it. Oh yeah, right. That would wow. That would be more than just a thing. I mean, really, that's whew, because if Switzerland gets on that bandwagon, now you've got a whole different ballgame. Because as exactly. soon as Switzerland accepts it, it's accepted in the in the European Union. Um, it's just uh, simply how many, true. yeah, uh, how how many loopholes or hoops you have to jump through to get your pound sterling to Bitcoin. That would be huge. And I can see Switzerland doing that. I believe there are probably a lot of folks who are trying to put pressure on Switzerland not to do that. Yeah, probably. I yeah. mean, if it just if, if it just kind of occurs to me, then, you know, again, I'm an amateur. I guarantee you there are professional people who have thought long and hard about this, you know, before it even occurred to me. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's a good shot there. Cool. Um, So we are at about the two the two hour mark. Um, Don't know how you say end of part one. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, Yeah. So then I guess I will start off with service on the next one. We'll have to remember El Salvador, of course. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I think I'm going to lead off with, with my, my number one story of 2021. Oh, go, go ahead. Uh, d- that, Jesus, g- give us, give us a hint. Give give us one of those was yeah. crypto, crypto hints. Um, oh, sure. I say I wasn't going to be cryptic about it. Um, okay. Because to me, the biggest story of 2021 from vaccine to Omicron, let's face it. It's the pandemic. Every other story okay. is secondary to that. All right. So next time, lead off with the pandemic. All right, man. Uh, Yeah. uh, Later, everybody. TTFN. All right. TTFN. Be safe.